0: If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves, turn, and seek my face, I will heal their land. And that was a request from Franklin Graham this morning. Franklin's sister Ann Graham Lotz has sent out a memo for the women to pray tonight at six to seven. Thank you, Jesus, for the Graham family. When I think about prayer, um, the more I study prayer, I think the more confused sometimes I get. I mean, when you stop and think about it, that the God of this universe, the God that spoke and it came into existence, The God that was there before the beginning and will be there after the end, I don't get it. I don't understand how we have the right to even go to him, let alone he knows me and he knows you. He knows how many hairs are on our head and he cares about us. And there's times when I just think it makes no sense it's not possible and for my life this book has been the foundation i I need to see something I need something tangible and in times of doubt I go back to this and I kind of review what I know to be true written took about two thousand years to put this together Forty different authors. From a shepherd boy to a fisherman to a tax collector. From the beginning to the end, the same theme with no contradictions. Three different languages, three different continents. And then I land on prophecy. And we can document. It's not like, geez, I wonder if Written here, verified by the Dead Sea Scrolls, answered here. Some believe there's about 2,500 prophecies in the Bible. About 80% have already been fulfilled. The mathematicians got out their pencil and pen and they figured the odds of that. So if you think one out of ten, that's one zero. One out of a thousand, that's three zeros one out of a million, that's six zeros. The odds of this book being true based on prophecy alone, not to mention the lives I've seen changed in my life in particular, one with 2,000 zeros. And so as much as the universe and God blows me away, those numbers blow me away. And I say, this book has to be true. And this book says, I can go to God. And he hears my prayers. And he answers them. I think to understand prayer, you would need to have all knowledge. You'd have to have control of past, present, and future. And then you'd get it. In other words, you'd have to be God. The disciples came to Jesus and they were talking about prayer. And Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room. Have a place where you pray. And when you're alone, pray to God. That should be the bulk of our time in prayer. Corporate prayer is good. Prayer meetings are good. But pray silently in your room. And he said, pray strategically. It was very evident uh, the Pharisees prayed very publicly. They stood in the corners of the streets and in the middle of the synagogue. They made a big show about how pious they were. And Jesus said, that's their reward. When you pray, pray silently in your room. And you don't need to have all of this Verbiage. It doesn't require lengthy prayers. It doesn't have to have fancy words. Pray strategically. The Romans prayed to certain gods. Maybe it was the rain god. And if it rained, they thought, oh, those words I used must have been really special. And so they'd repeat them over and over and over again. He says, just don't use constant babble. Today we're going to unpack the Lord's Prayer Probably should be called the disciples prayer. Jesus doesn't need to pray saying forgive me of my sins. But it's got the label of the Lord's Prayer. And we see that in two places in Scripture. In Matthew 6. Is early in Jesus' ministry. He's at the Galilean area. And the disciples talked to him about prayer. And then we see in Luke 11. It's late in his ministry, and he's down in the Judean area. And it's the Luke 11 interaction that really interests me. Because the disciples have been with him for probably close to three years. They've watched him. And they come to Jesus after a night of prayer, and they say, Teach us to pray. I don't know about you, but I'd be thinking, you know, I've watched the Romans pray, and I've watched you pray before, I'd be thinking, hey, show me how to walk on the water, teach me how to raise the dead, but the disciples saw the power of prayer, and they said, teach us to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Lord's Prayer. Thank you for the opportunity to unpack that. It's a template for us. Help us this morning to clear away the noise, the clutter, the distractions. Help us to hear your word. Help to penetrate our hearts so that when we leave this place this morning, you and I will never be the same. Amen. So he says, when you pray, pray like this. It's a template. He says, our Father. I kind of blow past those words pretty quickly, but I want to pause and talk about our. Our is us. Us. Our. We're family. I can't call him father unless he's my father. He's, he's adopted me if I've understood the plan of salvation. This book says that there's sin in my life and sin in your life. And that sin separates me from God. And he sent his son To die on the cross. And it's not enough to know that. But I have to want that in my heart. I have to go to God and I can do that in prayer and say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I want forgiveness. And I want to accept the gift that you've given me with Christ's death on the cross. And if you earnestly pray that prayer, God will adopt you into our family. I think too often we kind of stop there and they say, pray the prayer and you're saved. But if it's an earnest, heartfelt prayer, that individual will show a change. There'll be a change in their life and they'll begin to turn and walk towards Christ. And if you do that, God adopts us into our. And then he says, Father, Now, we don't think much about that, but if you go back to the time of Christ, the Jews didn't even mention his name for fear of being called blasphemous. They spelled his name Y-W-H-W. You can't even pronounce it because they didn't want to use his name casually. And Jesus is saying, Father, The Jews, when they prayed, kind of believed that God was far off and was kind of uh, distant. And now Jesus is saying, come on, he's father. That Aramaic word actually means daddy or papa. So it has a softness to him. And If I'm one of the disciples, I'm going, oh, you cannot say that. He's saying you have a father who has adopted you, who loves you, who cares for you. Daddies are guys you can sit on their lap. I think of my earthly father, he was a great man, I loved him dearly. And he exhibited that I could go to him and sit on his lap and but there was a fear as well. I don't know if it was a fear to disappoint, but we had boundaries, and I knew if I crossed a boundary there was a penalty to pay. And too often, I think, as 21st century Christians, we adopt the daddy part really well. We think God is this you know, great fluff ball that's going to take care of us. And that's true. But we need a healthy fear of God. When he returns, he's coming as a lion. And there's this juxtaposition between daddy and... And lion. And that's healthy. So when he says our father. I think some of the disciples are behind and kind of the back going. He can't be talking about. God. We can't even say that word. And I think he kind of winks and says. Our father who art in heaven. I'm talking about. The God in heaven. Just to emphasize. And then he says hallowed. Be thy name. Hollywood's an old English word, holy, sanctified, set apart. His name is holy. We sang it this morning, holy, holy, holy. But it goes beyond that. It's a verb that says, Make my name holy. Well, how do you do that? You read, you pray you fellowship, you share, you try to emulate Christ, you try to build Him up. I am very guilty at times when I come to church, I kind of think like, what am I going to get out of church? Sometimes driving home, Talk to my wife and will say, "What do you think about church today?" Oh, the drummery drummed too loud; I couldn't hear, <laughs> or it was too bright, or Martin talked too long. And I, I kind of nitpick. Now, usually there's good things. I say, "You know, I thought that was really good." And I, church isn't all about me. If I'm going to hallow His name, my attitude should be, "What can I contribute?" How can I carry myself? Hallow his name. And then he says, Thy kingdom come. Now to a Jew, he knew exactly what he was talking about. For us, as we read that, the kingdom of God is very challenging. There's millennial kingdoms and there are messianic kingdoms and there's modern and there's liberal and There's conservative, and the list just goes on and on if you read. But when he said, the kingdom of God, he'd already told them, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. John the Baptist says, repent, because the kingdom of God is near. But they knew he was talking about the millennial kingdom, when the lion's going to lay down with the lamb. And the spears are bent into plowshares and hooks. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. And they are waiting for the Messiah. When thy kingdom will come. And they will be the constituents. He said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many books are out there on the will of God? Most say there's two wills. There's the sovereign will of God, which are what he decrees, and we really don't pray for that. When he said, he spoke, and the world became in an existence sovereign will of God. When he said, this is my son, Sovereign will of God. We don't pray for that. That's rock-solid, but he has a perceptive will, a desired will for you and for me. He wants me to be in the Word. He wants me to be a prayer warrior. He wants me to fellowship and share, be a good husband, be a good wife. Be a good brother, sister, employer, employee. He wants us to resemble Christ the best we can. He wants heaven to become visible, a reality on earth heaven is a perfect place. And he says, thy will be done, the will in heaven, no pain, no suffering, no sorrow. He's saying, will the reality of heaven be transformed into the reality in my life, in your life, in our church, in our community? That we try to become the mere image of heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then the prayer shifts. Give us this day our daily bread. So the disciples come to Jesus and say, we want to learn how to pray. And he says, okay. First of all, recognize who you're praying to. Hallow his name. Adore him. Worship him. And I know you have needs, so bring those needs to me. Give us This day, our daily bread. I've never prayed that prayer. I've never worried about my next meal. There are many even in our community that are suffering along those lines. But I think the message, we don't want to get trapped into that, but the message is is how dependent are we on God? He wants us to have the attitude that our very existence depends on Him. We take so many things for granted. Our health, the measure of health that we enjoy. I don't have to say, Buh, you better keep beating. Because if you don't, I'm taking my last breath. The miracle of our bodies... Blood's coming in from the extremities into the right side, one chamber, second chamber, into the lungs, clears the impurities, picks up the good stuff out to the left side of the heart, second chamber, out. Says we've got 60,000 miles of blood vessels in our body. And in less than a minute, every cell in your body is renewed. We take that for granted. We just, we breathe the air and just, it just happens. God is saying, put your trust, your faith for today in me. The writer of Proverbs says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me the food that is my portion. Lest I be full and deny thee. Saying, who is my God? Or I'd be hungry and i steal and i defame his name. Contentment is a great testimony. Saying, give me today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Be a steward of what I've given you. We all have different amounts. But the strategy is. Is we don't own it. We steward it. Give me today. What I need. And then he says. Forgive us our sins. As we forgive those. Who sin against us. Well I said. When we become part of our. Our sins. Past. Present. And future. Are forgiven. So. Why do I need to pray to forgive me of my sins? And Jesus in the upper room answered that. He took a basin and a towel, and he started to wash the disciples' feet. And he moved down the line, and he got to Peter, and Peter goes, No way are you washing my feet. And he said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you're not part of me. And he said, well, then wash my head and hands, wash all of me. He goes, you don't need to be washed all over if you've bathed this morning. Meaning, when you became a child of God, your sins, past, present, and future are forgiven. That salvational issue is resolved. But we go through and we commit sins every day. Create barriers between our fellow man and God. And those are the sins that we're praying for. Forgive me of my sins. And I have to snicker because the verse says, Forgive me of my sins as I have forgiven others. It kind of implies that I'm pretty good at forgiving. I don't need to read any more about forgiveness. I just need to put it into practice, and it is challenging. Forgiveness is not an event. Forgiveness is a process. And step one is to decide that you want to forgive. Now you may not want to. You may have done something that's really offended me and I kind of like to keep that. Harbor that. Bring it up. Mull it over. And I go to God and go, God, I Got to get rid of this. I need to forgive. I don't want to. Help me. Step one. Step two. God's going to help me to choose to forget. Bury the hatchet to never come back again. I choose to not remember that. One said, I distinctly remember forgetting that. And then step three is when I see the person, if that anger comes up, I know I need to move back to step two. It's a process. Forgive me of my sins as I forgive those. And if I don't, if I harbor that, I'm the one that pays the penalty. It detracts from my walk. It weighs me down. Then he goes on to say, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're going to be tempted. And we're going to be tested. God will test us, to help us mature. He tested a lot of people in the Old Testament. Moses and Joseph and David. he He tested Jesus. He won't tempt us, but he'll test us. Satan will tempt you. There's no sin in being tempted. But if you succumb to that temptation, that is sin. Sin can be very pleasurable for a season or two. So you have to ask yourself, You know, do I really want to get out of the temptation? Because I kind of like Having my toe just in there a little bit. Pastor Stanley said that when you're tired or you're hungry or you're lonely, prime times for temptation. Have a strategy. I don't know what your soft spots are. I think if you're honest with yourself, You look yourself in the mirror, you say, you know, I've got an issue with addiction or envy or pride or ego or or whatever it is. You fill in the blank. You know where you're susceptible. And then strategize to avoid those. The Sama says, how can a young man keep his way pure? It's very simple. Store thy word in your heart. So maybe you memorize a couple of verses that you can go to. And even though you're trying to avoid certain circumstances, you find yourself there. You've got a strategy to get out. To get away. Because we're going to be tempted. This person that's praying that prayer has been in their room. They prayed about their past. Forgive us of our sins. They've prayed about the present. Give me today what I need. And now he's saying, I'm stepping out into the world and I'm going to be tempted. Help me, Lord Jesus. And then it, the benediction for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Probably was added on, but it's a great benediction for this prayer. We start with God and we end with God. We're finishing up a four-week series on prayer. If you remember week one, Pastor John talked about you pray to God through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Week two he we talked about prayer blockers that if you're dishonoring God or you have poor motives, or if there's unconfessed sin, can dampen your relationship and your prayer. Last week you talked about intercessory prayer. You need to pray for the lost. We need to pray for those missionaries on the field, local and abroad. And pray for our loved ones. It's very clear what God wants from us. He wants us to be in the Word. He wants us in prayer. He wants us fellowshipping, sharing. But prayer is a conversation. And I think too often it seems to be one way. How much time do you, how much time do I spend trying to listen? Be still? Search me, O God, and know my heart. My soul wait in silence for God only? If you think prayer is hard, meditation is another level for me. But he asks us to do that. It's a two-way street. They asked C.S. Lewis, why do you pray? Do you pray to change God's mind? He said, no. I don't pray to change God's will. I pray that God's will will change me. I think many of us in the room are carrying around some burdens today. We think, "Eh, I'm strong enough. I can take it. And I don't know if it's your ego or your pride. But God says, come. Come, I will give you rest. Come to me. If we're going to be prayer warriors... Our prayers need to be personal. Our Father. They need to be honorable and honoring. Hallowed be thy name. They need to line up with God's agenda. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to be serious God, forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. They need to be courageous because I'm going to be tempted. It was July 25, 1993. A church in Cape Town, South Africa open service and a gunman came in, started shooting. And when the dust cleared, many were wounded, 11 were dead. And a spokesman for the church came out later and paraphrasing went something like this. It's sad that we live in a fallen world. But, we believe there's a day coming when there will be a new world and Jesus will be recognized as King. We harbor no revenge, no bitterness. We're content. to turn justice over to the Almighty who has made arrangements that everyone will be accountable for what they've done. Now, I can promise you they didn't believe that prayer completely, but they recognized they had to forgive the, the shooter. And so they were at step one. Why did it happen? Why me? Not fair. Jesus, I've got to forgive him. I don't want to. Help me. Start the process. And they were at phase one. When you run into those circumstances that are just overwhelming, we've got to end up At the foot of the cross. Say, Jesus, I cannot do it alone. The Holy Spirit in me can pray words for me sometimes. But I've got to say, Jesus, help me. Take this burden off. Go before me as a light and a lamp. Help my prayers reflect the attitude of Jesus. Because it's in Jesus' name is the kingdom. And it's Jesus' name that's the power. And it's Jesus' name which is the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Lord's Prayer. The message is clear. We're to hallow your name. We're to worship you. We're to bring our burdens to you. And we're to walk. Help us, Lord Jesus. Amen.